Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, August 25th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I'm not going to promise that this is the best Friday Gold Wrap podcast that I've ever done, but I'm pretty certain it has the cleverest title. As you probably gathered if you read the title, I'm going to talk a little today about the BRICS expansion and how that could impact U.S. economic dominance. You know, this is one of those things that, you know, it it hit the news cycle, and I think a lot of people realize that there's some significance to it. But I think this is the kind of thing that we might look back on 10, 15, 20 years down the road and say, you know, that was a huge turning point in uh, world economic history. I think this could be that big of a deal. Now, maybe it won't be, but nevertheless, there are a lot of ramifications to the expansion of BRICS and uh, its growing influence in the world. And uh, I think we need to be aware of it. And as folks that are interested in gold and silver and precious metals, uh, this is certainly something that could impact those markets in a significant way down the road, uh, primarily because of the potential to impact the role of the dollar in the global economy. So, to start, you know, I probably shouldn't assume everybody knows exactly what BRICS is. Basically, it's an economic cooperation block made up of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, uh, thus the acronym BRICS. It currently accounts for about 40% of the global population and roughly a quarter of the world's GDP. But that is about to expand rapidly. At the BRICS summit this week, the bloc actually expanded by adding six new countries, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Iran. These countries will become part of the bloc effective January 1st. Now, I guess they're still going to call it BRICS. I don't think they can add all of those letters to the acronym. But nevertheless, it's going to be a much bigger block. Uh, It will encompass a much larger population. And obviously, it will also uh, have a larger share of global GDP with the addition of these countries, especially uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, which are not insignificant um, economies. Now, Why does this matter? Because the growing economic clout of BRICS is a direct threat to dollar dominance. In fact, during the meeting, the bloc leaders emphasized conducting increased trade within the bloc using local currencies as part of a move toward de-dollarization. In other words, they want to reduce the U.S. dollar's dominance in global trade and finance. And in that context, I really think the addition of Saudi Arabia and the UAE are particularly significant because of oil and the importance of the petrodollar to the status of the U.S. dollar more generally. Now, when I talk about de-dollarization, you know, that sounds like something that could be some kind of big conspiracy theory or something, but it's really not. I mean, it's not just theoretical. There is already a very significant move 
toward de-dollarization, and it's no secret. Uh, a lot of the leaders of these countries have talked about it. As I mentioned in the last show, just last week, India and the United Arab Emirates settled an oil trade without converting local currencies to dollars for the first time ever. Um, and that was India's top oil refiner making payment for oil in rupees. Um, the Indian Oil Corporation bought a million barrels of oil from Abu Dhabi National Oil Company in a dollar-free transaction. Now, this is significant. Um, the oil sale was the first after the two countries entered into a memorandum of understanding uh, earlier this summer, back in July. And part of the deal established what is called the local currency settlement system, which will be facilitated by the Reserve Bank of India and the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates. And this system allows the two countries to engage in bilateral trade using uh, the rupee and the uh, local currency of the UAE. According to a statement by the Reserve Bank of India, the agreement will facilitate, quote, seamless cross-border transactions and payments and foster greater economic cooperation. Now, this is just two countries, granted, but it reveals something that I think a lot of countries want to do. They want to cut the dollar out of their transactions. Um, for one thing, it's just easier. I mean, why throw a third currency into the mix if you don't have to? Um, and, and then, really, I think more than that, there is a growing sense that people don't want to be under the thumb of the United States. They don't want to be completely dependent on dollars, because when they're completely dependent on dollars, that means that the U.S. has a lot of clout. Uh, and a lot of influence over their foreign policies and decisions they make. And, I mean, who wants that? So, if this trend of dollarless transactions expands to other countries, the minimization of the dollar in the global oil trade would certainly be bad news for the United States. And, by the way, India has also purchased oil from Russia using non-dollar currencies. So that's why I say the addition of Saudi Arabia and the UAE to BRICS is so significant. As it stands, members of the BRICS make up around 20% of global oil output. The addition of Saudi, the UAE, and Iran would see the BRICS group make up almost 42% of global crude oil output. Saudi Arabia already is the largest crude oil exporter in the world. In 2022, the Saudis exported around 7.3 million barrels of oil. That's a little more than 17% of the global crude oil exports. Uh, the bulk of these exports, 76%, go to Asia, and uh, of that, 35% go to BRICS members, China and India. So, here's the question. What happens if this oil trade starts happening without dollars? Well, there'll be less need for dollars globally, and of course, that's a big problem for the United States. Now, currently, the majority, of, uh, the majority of global oil sales are priced in dollars, and this ensures a constant demand for dollars since every country needs them to buy oil. And, of course, this helps support the U.S. government's borrow-and-spend policies along with its massive deficits. Now, how? Because as the world needs dollars for oil, it guarantees demand for greenbacks. That means the Federal Reserve can keep printing dollars to monetize the debt. 
You see, one of the reasons all of the money creation in the last several years didn't cause even worse price inflation is because a lot of those dollars were soaked up by the global financial system. And the reason they're soaked up by the global financial system is it all runs on dollars. And it starts with the oil trade. That's really one of the things that props up the power of the U.S. dollar. Um, it's not just that they need dollars to buy oil either. Since other countries have a lot of dollars, they recycle proceeds in dollar-denominated assets, such as U.S. Treasury bonds, and uh, while also investing in dollar-denominated markets. And of course, this props up the dollar's role as the global reserve currency. Now, Saudi Arabia has already expressed a willingness to abandon the petrodollar. In January, Saudi Arabia Finance Minister Mohammed Al-Jadan said the country is open to discussing trade in currencies other than the U.S. dollar. He said there are no issues with discussing how we settle our trade arrangements, whether it is in the U.S. dollar, whether it is the euro, whether it is in the Saudi rial, Al-Jadan said in an interview with Bloomberg TV. Uh, he went on to say, I don't, think we're, I don't think we are waving away or ruling out any discussion that will help improve the trade around the world. This would have been unthinkable three, four, five years ago that Saudi Arabia would be talking about uh, you know, doing oil trade outside of dollars. And yet, here we are, right? Now, the uh, Saudis have sold oil exclusively for dollars since 1974, and at that time, uh, Richard Nixon uh, and his administration uh, inked a deal with the Saudis to make sure that oil was traded in dollars. Now, if the, sh if the Saudis shift away from the dollar and they start selling oil in other currencies, other countries would probably follow suit due to Saudi Arabia's influence on the global oil market. So... All of this undermines the power of the dollar, okay? Doesn't mean the dollar is going to collapse tomorrow. Doesn't mean the petrodollar is dead. It's just a trend. It's just something that is bubbling under the surface, slowly happening. We're seeing this erosion of the power of the dollar. And the oil market isn't the only way to accomplish de-dollarization. In fact, most trade globally is denominated in dollars. And it doesn't really have to be, right? There's no rule that says it has to be dollars. In fact, you know, you go back 200 years or so, uh, most global trade was done in British pounds. And, you know, over time, as the British Empire started to crumble, as British dominance waned, the importance of the pound faltered. And uh, we're kind of, I think, seeing that trend here in the United States with the dollar. You know, every empire collapses. Every fiat currency uh, that has been, you know, the, the, the king has eventually fallen off of that throne. And there's no reason to think that the dollar's position is the reserve currency, the dominance of the dollar in the global economy. Uh, there's no reason to think that's going to go on forever. So... All of this is obviously concerning. Um, interestingly, if you uh, go back just a, a few weeks ago, uh, China and Brazil finalized a trade deal in their own currencies, completely bypassing the dollar. So it's not just Saudi Arabia and it's not just the oil producers. Uh, this is something that we're seeing around the world.
Here's another example. There is a development bank that was formed and is led by the BRICS block, and it's actually approaching de-dollarization from a debt angle by reducing dollar-denominated lending. The Shanghai-based New Development Bank is lending in BRICS currencies, such as South African, Brazilian, and Indian currencies. Uh, quote, we expect to lend between 8 and $10 billion this year, NDB President Dilma Rousseff told the Financial Times. Quote, our aim is to reach about 30% of everything we lend in local currency. The bank is also issuing bonds denominated in BRICS block currencies. It issued its first bond denominated in the South African RAND uh, earlier this month, and that attracted 2.67 billion RAND of bids. And then more recently, the bank announced it has plans for an Indian rupee bond uh, that will probably come out in October. Now, this is interesting to me because one of the reasons some people say BRICS isn't really a threat to the dollar is because there isn't a lot of demand for these local currencies, right? I mean, um, everybody in the world wants dollars. Not everybody wants a South African rand. And of course, these currencies tend to be uh, more volatile. And so, uh, the argument goes, well, they don't really threaten the dollar. People are still going to want dollars. Um, but if you start seeing more assets like bonds that are denominated in non-dollar currencies, well, that gives you a place to put these other currencies. So, if you have a bunch of RAND and you can buy a RAND-denominated bond, well, then that increases the demand for RANDs. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not expecting the dollar to collapse tomorrow because of BRICS. But there is definitely a trend toward de-dollarization that threatens the dollar's reserve currency status in the long run. The bottom line is the U.S. has abused its privilege as the issuer of the reserve currency, and a lot of countries are tired of it. They don't want to be controlled by the United States. They don't want Americans hanging dollars over their heads and forcing them to acquiesce to their foreign policy desires or even their economic desires. And I mean, can you blame them? Nobody wants to be controlled. And the U.S. has undeniably used the dollar as a weapon in its foreign policy, uh, particularly through sanctions. Uh, and, and we really saw this when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, with uh, it going as far as locking uh, the Russians out of the SWIFT settlement system. And, and SWIFT is um, the, the kind of global um, facility that... Um, kind of facilitates transactions across the world, and it's all done in dollars. So, uh, the U.S. has uh, a lot of influence, and it has used SWIFT as a foreign policy tool. Um, so, the sanctions on Russia, quite frankly, were a big wake-up call for the rest of the world. And, you know, we can debate whether or not we should sanction and, and you know, that's not really the point. The point is, whenever you implement a policy, there are other consequences. There can be blowback and backlash. And I think all too often, policymakers don't take those things into account. Um, and then they act surprised when bad things happen. Interestingly, after Russia invaded Ukraine, the managing director of the IMF warned that sanctions on Russia could erode the dollar's dominance by encouraging smaller trading blocks using 
other currencies. That's exactly what we're seeing here. Um, and then looking at the bigger picture, we've also seen a decline in the number of dollars held in global reserves. According to the IMF, the dollar's share of global foreign exchange reserves fell below 59% at the end of 2021. And uh, that extended a two-decade decline of dollars um, being held in reserve. Now, strikingly, the decline in the dollar share has not been accompanied by an increase in the shares of uh, pound or yen or euro or uh, other long-standing reserve currencies. Rather, the shift out of the dollar has been in two directions. Um, a quarter of that has gone into the Chinese um, yuan, and three-quarters have gone into currencies of smaller countries that have played a more limited role as reserve currencies. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a diversification of reserves. Again, it's de-dollarization moving away from dollars, bringing in other currencies um, to, to, to kind of replace them. Now, I've already mentioned this, but it bears repeating. The United States government depends on the demand for dollars to underpin its profligate borrowing and spending. The only reason that the U.S. can get away with massive budget deficits and an ever-growing national debt to the extent that it does is due to the dollar's role as the world's reserve currency. If the dollar was not the world's reserve currency, we would be in an inflationary nightmare that would absolutely uh, blow away what we've seen over the last year, year and a half. Um, the, the dollar status creates a built-in global demand for dollars, as I've already explained, and also U.S. treasuries and other U.S dollar-denominated assets. This absorbs the money creation, and it maintains dollar strength. But what happens if that demand drops? What happens if BRICS develops its own currency and no longer needs dollars to trade? Um, and again, this is something to me that's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be a collapse. It's, it's more of a, uh, more like the air coming out of a tire that has a nail in it, right? Uh, you might notice one day, a tire looks a little flat, and the next day it's a little flatter, and then the next day it's a little flatter. And then one day you wake up and you can't drive anymore because the tire has gone completely flat. The ugly reality is, if the demand for dollars tanks, the greenback's value will quickly erode away. There'll simply be too many dollars out there that nobody wants. And what happens when you have a whole bunch of dollars that's chasing fewer and fewer products? Well, you get price inflation. So what I'm talking about here is even worse price inflation for Americans than what we've seen over the last, again, year to year and a half. And of course, in the worst case scenario, it could collapse the dollar completely. Peter Schiff talked about how BRICS could dent Western dominance in a recent interview, and I'm going to link to that on the show notes page at shiftgold.com news. Now, one thing that apparently wasn't on the agenda, or at least discussed kind of publicly at the BRICS summit, was a new BRICS currency to compete with the dollar. But the idea is definitely floating around out there. Not too long ago, the president of Brazil brought it up, rhetorically asking, why can't we do trade based on our own currencies? Who was it that decided that the dollar was the currency after the disappearance of the gold standard? And uh, last spring, a Russian official announced that the BRICS nations were actually working to develop, quote, a new currency. 
State Duma, uh, that's the Russian Legislative Assembly. So the deputy chairman of the Duma, uh, his name is Alexander Babakov, he said the transition to settlements in national currencies was the first step. So we've seen that. Uh, we've seen Russia and India doing oil deals in, in rupees and rubles. So that was the first step, according to Babakov. He said, the next one is to provide the circulation of digital or any other form of a fundamentally new currency in the nearest future. Babakov said that the BRICS nations are developing a strategy that, quote, does not defend the dollar or the euro, and that, quote, a single currency would likely emerge within BRICS pegged to gold or other groups of products, rare earth elements, or soil. So he's talking about fundamentally sound money. Now, these are government people, so, you know, how sound the sound money would actually be questionable. But if they really do tie it to gold and hold the line, uh, then we are talking about a much sounder money than the dollar. And, you know, again, you, you have this argument out there, well, nobody's going to want this alternative currency, right? Everybody wants dollars. America is stable. America is strong and great. So people will still want dollars. But if you've got a gold-backed currency that the BRICS nations are, um, are using, I, I mean, I, I would want that more than I would want fiat dollars, to be quite frank. Uh, so, yeah, definitely something to keep a look at. You know, pegging the new currency to gold would solve one of the big problems facing the BRICS block, and that's the fact that their currencies tend to be more volatile than the dollar. Now, let's back up and be realistic, because it's easy to look at this, and, and I've seen some of this out there. It's easy to look at this and, and get really, you know, almost panicky about it. Oh my gosh, you know, the America is about to fall. We're going to decline tomorrow. There are still a lot of roadblocks in front of BRICS. I mean, these countries don't necessarily share geopolitical goals. I mean, Saudi Arabia and Iran have been enemies for ages. Um, India and China apparently have issues. And of course, Saudi Arabia and the UAE have generally been friendly toward the West. So it's not like all of these countries are geopolitically aligned. This is an economic block. So economic cooperation is really what they're looking for. But their political differences could make it difficult for them to, to you know, really cooperate and uh, work together. So. I'm not sitting here expecting a dollar collapse tomorrow. Again, I envision a slow decline, like the leaking tire, where the dollar matters a little less and a little less as more and more alternatives grow. And even if BRICS ends up creating its own currency, I'm not sure that that ultimately dooms the dollar. But any erosion of the greenback is a problem for the US. It needs the world to hold its dollars. I can't emphasize that enough. It needs the world to buy its bonds. It cannot finance $1 trillion plus yearly deficits without the dollar remaining on its perch. So this threat to the dollar is really a threat to the U.S. government. It's a threat to the way the U.S. government does business. It can't borrow and spend 
if the dollar's role is drastically diminished in the world. And we are now entering into a period of time where there is a concerted effort to undermine the power of the dollar. And I think that's something that's important to watch. I think it could have a... Uh, an, an oversized impact on the trajectory of uh, global economics and global politics moving forward. So again, you know, I could see people looking back to uh, August 24th and saying, you know, that was a significant time in global economic history. So, you know, there's definitely a scenario here where we see a slow decline in the dollar. Um, and that will mean more price inflation for Americans. It will mean higher interest rates as the value of treasuries fall. Um, this isn't a problem for tomorrow, but it definitely could be a problem down the road. And it's a good reason to at least diversify and add non-dollar assets to your portfolio. Um, gold and silver, of course, are ideal for this. Um, but I certainly wouldn't have all of my assets, all of my uh, eggs, so to speak, in the dollar basket because the dollar is getting shaky. Um, speaking of gold and silver, we saw the price of gold recover back above $1,900 an ounce um, this week. Uh, we got a little bit of relief in bond yields late in the week. Um, there was some some economic data that uh, looked not quite as good as expected. And so, uh, you know, again, this uh, made people a little bit more optimistic that maybe the Fed won't have to tighten as much. So we saw, uh, saw a little bit of easing in that. And uh, that gave the the uh, price of gold and the price of silver a little bit of headwind. Silver actually did even better this week. It was up 3.5% on Wednesday. Um, it was back above $24 an ounce on uh, Thursday afternoon. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, it was trading down in the $22 an ounce range. But, you know, even at $24 an ounce, the uh, silver price is inexcusably low, given the actual market dynamics. Now, of course, silver has faced the same headwinds as gold, with the Federal Reserve pushing interest rates higher to battle price inflation. Fed monetary policy has uh, strengthened the dollar, and sticky price inflation has kept investors on edge with the expectations of more rate hikes. And of course, this has pressured both gold and silver lower, and, and we've seen this trend um, really over the last couple of years. Now, interestingly, uh, the price of gold has generally increased, um, but it hasn't increased as much as you might expect, especially given uh, the historically high inflation that we saw last year. Um, and silver has faced additional bearish sentiment due to a slowing global economy. Um, sagging demand for consumer electronics has impacted industrial demand for both silver and gold. Uh, BMO Capital Markets Commodities Analyst Colin Hamilton noted that while the global economy has held up better than expected in the face of monetary tightening, quote, this is almost solely down to resiliency in the services economy while the man manufacturing side is clearly feeling the strain. Of course, this disproportionately impacts the silver market because industrial demand makes up over 50% of the total silver demand. That compares with only uh, less than 7% of gold demand coming from industrial applications. 
But if we look at the longer term, the supply and demand dynamics are really, really bullish for silver. First off, we're seeing declining silver mine output. So we're seeing a, a rather static and stagnant supply of silver. Uh, but we're seeing growing demand. In fact, there is a looming supply shortage. Analysts believe that the growing demand for silver in the solar power industry will likely put a significant squeeze on supply over the coming years. Um, according to one study, solar manufacturers will likely require over 20% of the current annual silver supply by as early as 2027. And by 2050, solar panel production could use approximately 85 to 98% of the current global silver reserves. Um, the current price of silver does not reflect these likely shortages. And then looking at another dynamic, we continue to see a silver-gold ratio that signals silver is significantly undervalued, at least compared to gold. Uh, of course, this has happened before many times, and when silver does correct, and it does, it returns to the mean, it usually does so with the vengeance. Uh, right now, the silver-gold ratio is around 79 to 1, meaning it takes 79 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. The normal ratio in modern times has been between 40 to 1 and 50 to 1. But the uh, ratio actually fell all the way to 30 to 1 in 2011, and it fell below 20 to 1 back in 1979. So you can see what I mean when I say that when it does correct, it tends to do so with a vengeance. So I think given the supply and demand dynamics, uh, current solar prices present a great opportunity for buying. I think the price of gold uh, at $1,900 an ounce is also undervalued given uh, the trajectory of the economy when we're talking about um, stagflation really coming down the pike. Uh, so I think there are buying opportunities now both for gold but even more so for silver. So if you want to talk about this, um, if you want to look into adding silver and gold to your investment portfolio, I highly recommend talking to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can do that by calling 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can shoot them an email, info at shiftgold.com, or you can go to the Shift Gold page, shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started tab, and you can chat online with a Precious Metal Specialist. They'll talk to you about your goals, your investment strategy, what you're hoping to do, uh, help you determine whether you know silver's better, gold's better for you, a mix. Um, but these guys are fantastic, and I highly recommend um, talking to them today because, again, it's a buying opportunity. And at some, at some point, these prices are going to correct to the upside because all of the economic dynamics, all the long-term dynamics are pointing in that direction. So with that, we're going to call this a gold wrap for the week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on the Ship Gold YouTube channel. Other places, you'll find links to all of them on the show notes page along with our social media channels. You can email me at mmahari at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. In fact, I've got a couple emails I need to answer. But uh, feel free to shoot me an email. 
And I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I appreciate you listening to the show, and I will talk to you again next week.